Hello again. Welcome back to Knowing God with Heart and Mind, that regular visit to the virtual church classroom at Shiloh United Methodist Church. Uh, if you're listening in real time, we're back after about a three-week hiatus, uh, summer vacation time, I guess you could call it, and conference and so forth. We are back. I'm Pastor Dan. I'm with my daughter, Bethany, and we are studying the book by C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity. We're on book three. In chapter 3 today, Social Morality. This was being recorded on July 4th, 2019. Happy Independence Day, America. July 4th, 2019. And uh, as we dig into this uh, particular chapter, we're looking at social morality. Social morality. Bethany, that's uh, the topic. It's if, As I read the book uh, again uh, recently, this is definitely the turning point in the book where it starts getting a little more mm, edgy. Yeah, I agree. So uh, what's the first thing to get clear about Christ and Christian social morality, according to C.S. Jack Lewis? Well, he says that it's really important to remember and that he feels like a lot of people don't, that Christ didn't come to teach any kind of new morality. He came to maybe do some reminding. Mm -hmm. And he even points out that that's most often what people need is to be reminded, not instructed, because it's because we've established in this book already that it's ingrained. It's in us. Yeah. Yeah. So he came to do that, not to teach us anything particularly new. Yeah. I think about that a lot in the context of preaching because... You know, I always try to introduce new ideas and things to people to help them broaden their perspective on Scripture. But at the end of the day, I'm really just reminding them of things and uh, reminding them of how to respond. So I might show them something new to them in Scripture, but at the end of the day, what they're doing is they're learning once again what they know they must do in order to faithfully follow Christ. Mm -hmm. That's the idea anyway. So what's the second thing to get clear about Christian social morality? That it's not a specific program. Mm -hmm. And he even says political program. It's not like a one-size-fits-all for all people all the time, and it would be really inappropriate to try to make it that. Yeah, um, you know, Jack is like, he's revered for a lot of reasons by a lot of different people, but... What I find so remarkable is is that this is the most concise and down-to-earth approach that I've seen articulated um, in my lifetime. I mean, if people could just get that through their heads right now, um, mm -hmm. especially given the difficulties that we're experiencing in the United Methodist Church, but really, Christians in general, is that there isn't one size that fits all. Mm -hmm. And Christ seemed to be fine with that. When he was ministering to people on earth, he met people where they were. And, um, you know, we, uh, we learned in last week's Sunday message that, that uh, Samaritans had one idea of how Jesus was going to approach his uh, mission fulfillment in Jerusalem. And the Galileans had a different and and the Galileans thought that the best thing to do with the Samaritans because they were being disagreeable was to call down fire on them right you know sounds like some Christians these days mm -hmm. 
So, yeah, it's important to make sure that we accept that there isn't a one-size-fits-all Christianity. That's, that's a really important truth. And, um, you know, Jack says that, uh, you know, Christianity isn't really built around a particular political agenda um, or even a social morality. And, um, you know, it's not like... I'm trying to I'm trying to quote him here. It's it's uh, it, we're we're not being given specifics any more than if we were learning how to cook. Yeah, like I was gonna say something about that because we talk a lot about equipping people to serve, mm-hmm. and I do think that's really important. But he also points out that like our social morality, our Christianity, like we're not opening the Bible up and it's not telling us how to cook food right. so that people can be taken care of. It's telling us to take care of people. Right. And right. and the same thing, like he says, like, we're not, the Bible doesn't tell us how to read, read scripture, as in how to read Hebrew or Greek. Like, mm-hmm. it just says read. Yes. Like, so, and, and the thing is, like, those are all skills that you need to have. Like, if you can't read, yeah, that makes it a little harder to read scripture. But that's not the goal of Christianity. Right. Is not to provide those teachings. Those are already in place. There's a lot of human trappings that have been applied to biblical Christianity, um, some out of necessity, but ultimately um, that's still peripheral. Well, but he even says the that like that social morality and Christianity it wasn't intended to ever like replace those human things mm-hmm. it was intended as the director right to tell us what to do with those human things like set those all to the right job right so yeah so so what are the right and wrong ways that the church ought to give us a lead in making society better i really loved this and i was thinking of you because i grew up in the house of a clergy person clergy um because he talks about how, like, a lot of times what people mean when they say the church should give us a lead is that the clergy need to be taking care of biz. Yeah. And, like, setting the political agenda and all this stuff. And as a child who grew up in that house, that kind of house, I know that that's what people say still all the time. Sure. That you should be taking care of everything. But Lewis is saying right here that it says that when we say the church should be given a lead, he means, like, all of the people in the church yeah. should be doing and he gives great examples. He talks about, like, if we think Christianity and Christian principles need to be in education, then we need educators right. that are Christians. Exactly. Speaking out. Yeah. Or, like, trade unions. If we think that needs to have Christian principles, then we need good Christians in trade unions. Yeah, I was thinking about something today. Uh, I was mowing the grass earlier, and, and I was listening to the sermons that were presented by some people in my absence and Mm -hmm. they were wonderful messages and in one of the messages the gentleman referred to the founding pastor at Shiloh and you know I I got to thinking I always feel a little guilty because I'm not as outgoing as that guy Um, he and I have a lot in common and we work well together him from retirement and me in the present role whenever we are in the same place we get along fine we both 
believe in each other and both believe that we are doing the best things for Shiloh that we can. And, you know, mm-hmm. so it's a very positive relationship. But the fact remains, I'm not that guy. Um, he he was someone in the beginnings of this church who was right for the job because he was very good at personally going out and and encouraging people to come to the church. And he was personally, you know, just very charismatic and and uh, uh, very uh, extroverted, and and it's never been one of my great qualities. I'm, I'm I'm I love people, and I love preaching the word and everything. But I, you know, I don't hit up every waiter or waitress at every restaurant mm-hmm. or uh, every checkout person at the restaurant or at the hotel or the the walmart or whatever i i just don't do that and it doesn't mean that i'm not concerned for them but when you follow someone like that one of the problems that you have is is that people have developed a culture of assuming that that's what you do that Mm -hmm. that's the clergy's job and and you know in past churches as you kind of alluded to i've had people say to me well that's what we pay you to do right and i have to look at them and say well not really Mm -hmm. you know you pay me to equip you and train you and to help you to succeed in being the best and fullest form of Christian person that you are capable of being. And, and you, you know, so there's a lot of truth to that, that, that this is about mere Christianity is every Christian's responsibility. Right. It's good stuff. Um, Lewis says that the New Testament hints at what a fully Christian society would look like. And it's kind of funny because it's a leftist, obedient, mm-hmm. and cheerful society. It's like the proletariat. Yeah. That's what I wrote in my book. So why would you or wouldn't you want to live in a society like that? Like me personally? Or well, what the book says? what's the book say first? Well, the advantages, I think, that he talks about are like... Like, like everybody's working for starters like everybody's part of making good happen um and he talks about like um i don't i don't know like well so what does the book what does your book say because i don't know well the the author of the study guide gives a pretty succinct answer so i'm going to share his answer because i'm not sure i could do better than this um, this this is very succinct, and, and the author is really a C.S. Lewis scholar, mm-hmm. you know. But he says, it would be more like what we now call a leftist society, but right. with no parasites. Yes. Those who don't work, but who expect to eat. No silly luxuries and no sillier advertisements yes. to persuade us to buy them. It would be an obedient to proper government authorities, it, husbands and parents, it would also be cheerful and full of rejoicing with worry and anxiety regarded as wrong. Um, I'd be willing to give up my hard-earned luxuries to be 100% obedient to all human authority mm-hmm. and to parade around in a phony cheerfulness when I'm feeling down. Would I be? So so basically what he's saying is, is that, that uh, it, it would be the purest form of a socialist environment. Mm-hmm. It would be... 
uh, a mutually beneficial society where everyone benefits and no one lords it over others. Mm-hmm. But we all know that whether or not you lean really hard to the left or lean really hard to the right, the people with power and authority almost always are corrupt or become corrupt and the systems become corrupt. And so, um, you know, uh, in our current political culture, a real rightist person, a real right-leaning person would say, stick to the facts, you know, everybody earns their keep. And, and, you know, if people can't cut it, that's just too bad. That's, that's just the culling of, of society and leaving the strong to do the leading of the world. And, and a leftist, really leftist-leaning person or left-leaning person would be more inclined to think that, you know, we have to be sensitive to everybody and, and everyone needs a break and everybody needs a hand up and everybody needs support. But in both cases, the first thing the extremist wants to do is eliminate the opposition. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean that in a hostile way. I just mean that, that it, 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 the only way that the real Christian vision of society would work is if there were no sin. And since sin is in the world then no matter how hard you try to create a social environment that seems Christian, uh, it's going to be corrupt, you know. So mm-hmm. so right now we have checks and balances in our human society that sort of keep the extremists from being overly powerful. And hopefully that balance continues to exist because there are people who just want a free ride and don't do their share. And there are people who uh, figure that only the strong should survive. And, you know, and and so in both cases, um, we have major flaws in in the political version of left and right. But in the Christian version of left and right, well, then there would be a cheerful joy of, of, you know, like like the Acts of the Apostles describes where they... They all kept everything in common and they lived in joy. And, well, you know how long that lasted. Mm-hmm. You know, next thing you know, Ananias and Sapphira are are being confronted with the fact that, you know, they were very generous to a point, but yeah. they lied at some point and, you know, sort of tried to pull a fast one and got held accountable for it, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so then um, uh, the heathen Greeks... Old Testament Jews and Christians of the Middle Ages were all against a one kind of economic system. What's the system and what are its pros and cons today? Capitalism. <laughs> I mean, that's what it sounds like. They didn't, they were not fans of um, lending money at interest, which is capitalist. Yeah. So capitalist. Um and I would say, like, pros, like, it, and and I'm not, I would, I have a friend from college who would be dying if I, if he could hear me talking about pros of capitalism because he thinks I hate capitalism. Because <laughs> I'm not a huge fan of how that all works. But anyway, it really, like, it, it does make economies grow. Yeah. Like, it stimulates production yeah. and economic growth. But it tends to stimulate economic growth for a select few people. Yeah. I mean, um, the credit card society we're living in right now is out of control. Yeah. 
and and you know we live in a community where it doesn't take long and I'm, i'd say it's true of all communities but you know you drive around our community and you can see certain people who have acquired luxuries i imagine by debt and by paying interest in order to be on an equal footing with their neighbors and mm-hmm. with the people that they want to socialize with yeah and uh you know so it does promote a kind of vanity and and a foolishness and and a uh puts people in grave danger of hardship and you know uh yeah mm-hmm. so you know Jack said he wasn't sure that all forms of lending with interest were wrong. Yeah. But, uh... Yeah, because you pointed out that, like, it seems like what those cultures were referencing was private money lenders, mm -hmm. which is different than an economic system. Yeah, so he he points out that the Bible is really critical of usury. Yeah. And, uh, that would be a kind of lending that is, um oppressive you know um it's kind of like um like indentured servitude in a lot of ways like yeah great i'll give you some money well i mean this this and this for me it's it's like a long time you know the where you loan somebody money knowing they're not going to be able to pay off the debt and then you use their debt to you to take everything they have and build your wealth yeah and so, you know, you want a person's land and you know that there are hard times, you offer to loan them money and then when they can't give you the money back in time, you say, well, you know, I'm going to have to have the money back now. I guess you'll just have to give me the land. Mm-hmm. And that was your goal from the beginning. Mm-hmm. So people who have a lot of money and use it that way uh, are basically saying I can outlast them and then ultimately I get what I want and they lose everything. Mm-hmm. And that, that's kind of the definition of usury. And, you know, I would say in broad terms that what I've what I've often said is that the Bible makes it really clear, clear that God hates oppression. God doesn't like oppressors. Every time you read about oppression in the Bible, you see God providing some sort of deliverance. And um, it really stems from that whole concept of, of pride, you know, so so people who think they're a little better, a little smarter. Satan thought he was a little better, a little smarter than God, thought he could do God better than God. And and so his vanity causes him to use what strengths he has in order to oppress others. And so generally a humble person is not inclined to oppress others. Mm-hmm. And so sin leads to oppression and oppression of the poor and the uh, helpless, like the widow and the orphan, is something the Bible is expressly, explicitly opposed to, and and therefore God. Mm-hmm. So, whenever, uh, whether we give man a fish or give a man a fishing pole and teach him to fish, giving or charity remains one of our moral duties today as Christians. So, what does Jack say? Uh, the only safe rule for giving should be, and for us. And uh, what's the great obstacle? Well, he says that you have to give more than you can spare. Right. And that's that means that you're going to feel a pinch. Which means that you have to be willing to give up possible luxuries. Because if your charity isn't 
making your life a little bit harder, then you're not really doing much in the way of charity. You're not, you're not giving what you should be giving. And he said the obstacle is, is that like, and, and I totally get this. The obstacle is, well, then you, you fear financial insecurity for yourself too. Right. Um, but he says that that's a temptation. So, and our pride can stop us. Yeah, I mean, you know, so some people say that, that we shouldn't give money to the poor. We should create systems that yeah. prevent poverty, you know. But he says that that may be really well and good because I think absolutely that would be amazing. But he says that shouldn't stop us from giving. Right. Because then if we're not, if we're choosing not to give because no one needs anything, yeah. then we aren't following Christian morality because that's right there in the book. Yeah, I mean, you know, I was having a conversation with some church folks yesterday who are generous givers and very Christian in that, um, you know, and, and God seems to have really prospered them because of it. And they were asking me why I thought that the giving was down uh, more than it should be or more than it seemed, you know, to a point that's concerning. And and I said, well, there's a lot of factors involved, but I think people in our congregation are, are at the point where they need to be reminded regularly that that this is sort of their obligation and that the church is not looking for their money to help run the church. The mm-hmm. church is depending on the giving that they do sacrificially to God. That, And I pointed at the altar and I said, you know, they're supposed to put the money there. God will hold me and the others in this church leadership accountable for whether or not we use God's resources appropriately but at the end of the day the believer's role is to worship God by giving mm-hmm. and giving is an act of worship but it really doesn't feel very worshipful if you're just giving God your spare change you know yeah. and so the idea that Lewis is coming up with here is is forget tithing just just understand that the best rule of thumb is to give until it hurts mm-hmm. um, and only because that's when you really say to God I trust you and I believe that, you know, it's important for me to share these resources with you um, and, and to risk my future on you, mm-hmm. which is certainly part of the clergy life, I can tell you. Absolutely. Uh, okay, so then what's the real snag most of us run up against in drawing up blueprints for Christian society? Well... I think it's that we all tend to, you know, he talks about how, like, we look for Christianity to support the views we already have rather than the other way around. Right. Um, So we're looking for an ally, and he says, really, we should be looking for a master or a judge. That is a potent statement. Yeah. Um, and, And it's like, you know, I could... I could preach that every Sunday mm-hmm. and and to myself, but you know isn't that really what what most Christians come to church looking for is God's allegiance to them yeah <laughs> you know the, vindication for what they're doing yeah it's like God, I need your help, therefore I'm coming to church to show you that you should side with me <laughs> you know instead of saying I've come to submit to the authority of God and the leadership of God in my life yeah that's mm-hmm. That's powerful. Um, 
scary even. Mm-hmm. It's um, it's kind of a uh, I'm losing my train of thought here. <laughs> it it's one of his statements. You know, when I said he he's just kind of uh, uh, you know, it's getting to really metal here. I mean, he's really getting into to the you know up till now he's been speaking in in pretty broad terms Mm -hmm. and he suddenly starts really turning this into a conversation that that isn't meant to i don't think he's meant that that his intention was to offend people or anything else he's just being very practical yeah you know he's just saying well you know i read the book and this is what it said now you know if you can't accept that i don't know what uh I don't know what to tell you. Mm-hmm. You know, you, this is the thing, and and it, it really is. It's, yeah. Uh, I was just looking here. Um, some of the references that that uh, uh, that would be helpful is uh, where, where Matthew six twenty four says Jesus says no one can serve two masters, and you can either hate one or love the other, but you can't be devoted to both. Mm-hmm. Um, and Lewis's interpretation of that is is that this passage in the New Testament that says that everybody must work uh, gives us a reason in order that he may have something to give to those in need. In mm-hmm. other words, it's not, uh, and, and that's really a very Wesleyan, you know, John Wesley said, earn all that you can so that you can give all that you can. I mean, he took it more seriously and, you know, he, he preceded Jack by a few years and mm-hmm. he was saying that, you know, that that his goal was not to see how much he could acquire before he died and you know so he could leave it to his descendants because he didn't have any descendants so his goal was to make as much money as he could in order to further the the sharing of the message Mm -hmm. so you know the importance of work is clear to everyone and work is necessary in order to feed and clothe and shelter but it's also an important means to to uh, creating, you know, a vehicle for you to worship God. I mean, because honestly, if worshiping God is about going to church for an hour every week to be entertained, um, then I think something's dead wrong. Mm -hmm. If, on the other hand, it's to go to be motivated and challenged to go deeper with God and to experience uh, an environment that encourages uh, that frame of mind, you know, and, and it, to go to present your, your offerings to God. Um, we no longer make sacrifices in order to win God's favor. Now we do the sacrificial giving in order to show God uh, our deep love and appreciation and our great devotion to God and our great faith in God. And I just don't really see people doing that, um, not not in, in large numbers anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's kind of a... Uh, in the Divine Conspiracy, Dallas Willard says, Having shown us in Matthew 5 the true well-being and the goodness of the kingdom heart, Jesus now in Matthew 6 alerts us to two main things that will block or hinder a life consistently, uh, uh, will hinder or block consistent interaction with God and a healthy growth. Um, these have to, uh, these have, ah, there is the need to have the approval of others, uh, especially because of being devout. 
In other words, when our our expressions of devotion to God um, are really meant to impress others, then we've kind of missed the mark. Mm-hmm. And um, that's really right, right up there with the fallacy, uh, the Pharisees. Wow, <laughs> Pharisees and fallacies. I'm not sure that that's that far I mean, off. I yeah, mean, at works. least in the biblical sense. Um, it was a Freudian slip. You know, the fallacy, the Pharisees were not bad guys as a as a whole, but the ones that Jesus went round and round with definitely had missed the mark. Um, so I don't know. I find that all very interesting. I I. Um, so here's a good one uh caesar hoped to reform men by changing institutions and laws christ wished to remake institutions and lessen laws by changing men i mean that's that's pretty wild Mm -hmm. um you know christian society is not going to arrive until most of us really want it and we are not going to want it until we become more fully christian yeah boom that's Jack dropping the mic right mm-hmm. there. So, you know, there's not a lot extra to say today. No. And this one isn't really, you know, hard to flesh out. Uh, so, you know, listeners, when you consider this episode and you think about what Jack is telling you, um, I hope it makes you feel a little conviction. I mean, it sure sure made me feel it. Yeah, and that's what I was thinking. Like, it's not the longest episode as far as content just because it's very reflective i think yeah well and and you know honestly these are not things that are easy to say and hear and yet you know this is the struggle of the real devoted christian is that you know am i giving god enough and there's this problem we have with trusting the people we're giving to as though it's our responsibility. I mean, that one's one that I think I have a particular point of view as a pastor is, is just like I said, you know, people, people have to believe that if, if I'm as accountable to God, to God as they are, in other words, we're both trying to, to, you know, the guy in, in the behind, the guy behind the pulpit, who's also providing, you know, fiscal leadership for the church uh, the man or woman that's in that role is presumably devoted to God and trying to live according to God's precepts and therefore subject to God's authority in their lives. If that's all, it, if that's all apparent, then when you give your money to the church, you have to say, really, it doesn't matter what happens to my money. I gave it away. Mm-hmm. And my conscience is clear because of my relationship with God. I gave the money. Yeah. And, and, you know, I've given money. I've reached into my own pocket and handed money to people who came by the church and asked for help, mm-hmm. never knowing for sure whether they used it the way they said they would mm-hmm. or not. And I've seen people that I've helped financially and realized later that they were just habitual beggars and they were always going to be taking whatever you give them and then reapplying mm-hmm. it in some other way. And And so I might say, I don't think I'll do that again. But there's nothing wrong with the fact that I did. So I'm not saying that you want to be a part of a church where it doesn't matter if the money is mishandled. But I do think that it's important for people to understand that you give money to the church because it's your house of worship. It's the place that you go to to honor and glorify God. And one of the ways that you honor and glorify God is putting your money on the altar. 
Well, and we're asked to give up control and isn't... Isn't... Being picky and choosy about who you're giving to because they might not... They might abuse it. Isn't that another way to exert yeah. control? Well, you know, I was brand spanking new at ministry and I was in a little country church and four or five little ladies were sweet little ladies were talking about how every year they like to put together Thanksgiving baskets and um, and and they said we just don't know who to give them to this time it's like every year it's harder and harder to to know who to give them to and I said why is that and they said well we don't know whether they really deserve it or not you know because yeah. because some of these people are just on the take or whatever and I said uh, I said well is that really our place? Yeah. Isn't it just for us to give and to give in good faith to God and then let God sort the rest out? And they said, yeah, but, you know, it's hard to get people to contribute to stuff like this if they think that we're not doing, you know, we're not giving it to the right people. Yeah. And I proposed an idea that made two or three of them I thought were going to die because this little town had basically... Uh, didn't even have a it didn't even have a caution light. No, <laughs> there wasn't even a caution light in that town. You didn't have to slow down to and go. And there through still that. isn't. It hasn't yeah, changed. Yeah, you, you don't have to slow down and go through this town. But there is a there's a tavern in mm-hmm. town called Hogs, and it catered to Harley riding biker type people. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just sort of said, well, okay. I mean, if you really want to do something that'll demonstrate the real purpose of this. Instead of trying to find needy families to give a basket full of food to, why don't we create a basket full of goodies and take it down to Hogs Tavern and put it on the bar and say, this is for all your patrons and for yourselves. And it's just a gift from the little church down the road to say, we love you. Mm -hmm. And two or three of them just about (laughs) fainted. Why would we do such a thing? And I said, because it feels so radically wrong. Mm -hmm. Because then we're saying, Lord, we're going to give to people that we don't approve of Mm -hmm. because you approve of them, because you love them, because you would save them if one person could help them see what you have in store for them. And I said, so the whole point of my suggestion is, is let's stop thinking about ourselves and start thinking about God and thinking that maybe for the first time in the life of this church, and at least as long as it has coexisted with the tavern down the road, why don't we say today this church cares about the people who patronize that tavern Mm -hmm. and we care because jesus cares and wouldn't that be a really radical way to say who we are instead of being a bunch of snobs Mm -hmm. you know um well and lewis points out in in this chapter he says like part of it part of our our choosiness when it comes to giving is pride because it's easier to look really generous if you're giving a big tip or if you're you know so so with thanksgiving baskets i could also see where it's like well you know it'll look really good if we're giving it to so and so sure sure so we could walk around something maybe we consciously think about making ourselves look better but we do it yeah we could we could walk around saying aren't we awesome we gave five baskets full of food to needy people in the community mm-hmm. and uh and yet i remember in that church i hadn't been the pastor very long and a guy came to me to tell me that he had aids mm. and he wasn't sure what he was going to do because in that community 
um, that would immediately lead to all sorts of condemnation because it would be assumed that that's how he got it and you know that he got it in in uh, in in homosexual relations and all that and and uh, and I'm not going to reveal the story except to say that the that he wasn't concerned about possibly dying young because of an autoimmune disease. He was more concerned about how his reputation in the community was going to be destroyed. Mm -hmm. And he was asking the pastor of the local church if there was any hope for him among the Christians. Yeah. That's heartbreaking. <laughs> you know? And it, and it really is heartbreaking mm -hmm. because... But but I'll spin the clock forward 25 years. I talked to a guy this week who had a bad run of luck, and uh, he was praising God because there were Christians who had reached out to him to say, yeah, you know, you didn't look good in this episode, but we know that, that you know, you need the support of Christian men around you, and we're going to provide that, you know. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, Christians can be incredibly generous and incredibly sacrificial because you know it is a sacrifice to come along somebody come alongside somebody whose choices may have put them in a bad position mm -hmm. and say well we love you yeah and we're not you know condoning anything you did that was truly self-destructive or injurious to others but at the same time we see you not only as as a person who who may have victimized others in some way but you have also been a victim yourself you know and the guy with aids well you know it doesn't really matter how he got it now he's a man who's suffering with an illness and it doesn't matter that church people don't necessarily approve of the most common way to get that disease it none of that matters anymore you know now this is someone who you know, and, and I think a lot of times people suffer and they wonder why God would allow the suffering. But suffering has often changed lives of not only the one who suffers, but those who come alongside the suffering. And, uh, you know, yep. that's that's God's eternal perspective. So social morality. Whoa. <laughs> Big issue. Um I guess that's going to wrap it up for this one. This this one ought to make us think for a while, mm -hmm. folks. I imagine as you you know hear the end of this and uh the the stinger music plays you you're going to be going hmm <laughs> well i hope anyway um it'll certainly be on my mind for a while well we're back to schedule again and we should be producing these on a regular basis and uh, we thank you for listening i hope you will be sure to comment or uh just give us a word of encouragement um as i always like to say if you're in the jasper area and you're not part of the Shiloh Church, well, you're welcome. You can come anytime on Sunday mornings and pretty much any day of the week. There's something going on there. Come see us. And uh, if you want to write to us, the easiest way to do it is through the Facebook group, uh, Knowing God with Heart and Mind. And uh, you can also find uh, 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 connection points using the uh, church's website at shilohum.org. That's S-H-I-L-O-H-U-M dot O-R-G. And we have a brand new, really awesome app mm -hmm. that you can use to keep up with what's going on at Shiloh and listen to these podcasts and read sermon notes and all kinds of, there's just no, it's, it's a really great app. And so you just go to the app store for your Google or your iOS device and your Android or iOS device. And, and if you just go in there and, and type in Shiloh, 
Um, look for the one with the blue, white, and gray emblem. There are other Shiloh United Methodist churches with apps, but uh, a little bit of uh, study will help you figure out which one is us. But uh, just look up the Shiloh United Methodist Church or Shiloh Jasper, you know, um, and, and you'll be able to uh, uh, get the app and you'll find that really helpful too. But reach out. We would love to hear from you. It means a lot to us. And uh, for now, I think we're going to call it quits and uh, wish you a very happy Independence Day, uh, America, and a, and a wonderful July weekend. Mm-hmm. So um, and if you're listening to this later on, well... It still was happy birthday. It was America. still a wonderful July weekend when we made it. <laughs> yeah. And we can celebrate America all the time. All right. Yeah. Well, God bless you friends and goodbye. Bye.